Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Amen. And good morning. It is a good-looking crew here this morning, good-looking crew. Matter of fact, uh, it even got a little bit better looking this morning because we got, uh, we've got one of our big black sheep in. Miss Patsy Gagden, y'all give her a hand. <laughs> Patsy told me this morning, this is the first time in a year she's been back to church. Anyway, uh, we're glad, we're glad, and we're looking forward to everybody getting back and maybe reopening uh, all the way back like we have, and we're excited about that. And speaking of that, next Sunday, we're going to open up Sunday school, all right? So teachers, be sure you get with your classes uh, and your class members. And if you need a, a different day or a different place, let us know. We'll try to uh, our best to get that accommodated for you. But next Sunday, we're going to open up Sunday school. And uh, we're going to just uh, continue to pray that the Lord let all these things that we enjoyed so much doing uh, just, just be reopened again. So uh, make note of that. That'll be at 9 o'clock. Also, we are going to have coffee and uh, donuts at 8.30. So if you do want that and you don't mind uh, taking the risk for that, that's up to you. If you feel like maybe a fellowship's a little bit too risky, that's all right. You don't have to come at 8.30. Just come at 9 o'clock, all right? But we will have coffee and donuts uh, and juice uh, for those that want to enjoy that next week. All of that in March. Uh, We've got a new thing that we're doing, too. We, uh, it's called Flock Note. Now, the uh, website has it on there. You can go to, to alamofirstbaptist.com and just go to the home page. And uh, under the home menu, go down, you'll see Flock Note. You can just go to that. And you, it'll ask you to sign up, put your uh, name in, your telephone number, email address. What this is, this allows us to send out a notification and it'll come either to your email or to your phone. Uh, and you can keep up with anything that happens, prayer concerns, uh, if there's a schedule change, if we get snow again and we're not going to be doing a service, you, you can get that. We've got over 60-something people <clears throat> signed up right now. You can actually also, you can take your phone and you can text 84576, 84576. You can go back and watch the service later uh, if you want that number, 84576. That's the number you put in you're going to text to, and then your message would be FBC Alamo, all that's one word, FBC A-L-A-M-O, just and then send it. And it'll send you a link back and it'll automatically sign you up. But uh, that's the easiest way to kind of keep up with what's going on. If you have a problem, just yell at us. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get you set up. And you can join the groups that you're interested in. For example, Dan, uh, you know, you might want to be in the youth group. I know he missed out on skiing this year, and so, Dan, you know, next year you won't miss skiing. <laughs> Felicia, tell Dan what I said. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we want you to be uh, up and on, on what's going on. Uh, it is good to see you here this morning, uh, excited about the spring getting here, and we know this next month's going to be great. And uh, keep, uh, continue to remember folks in prayer that uh, need to be lifted up. And uh, don't forget, uh, you can send your tithe and offering uh, through the mail if you want to do that. Also, there's the box out here, and you can uh, also go online and uh, give through e-giving, and that's an easy way to do it. Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the time that we have here this morning, for just the, the joy of reopening together again and worshiping together. And Lord, we pray for our small group Sunday school classes next week as we kind of come together in, in that small group way and we can begin to uh, 
be accountable and challenge each other and grow deeper in our love for your word and the love for your will and just grow deeper in our relationship with you, Jesus. And we're looking forward to that. And Lord, we just continue to pray for all the things that we want to do as a church, the way that we can minister among ourselves, but Father, also minister to our community. Uh, Lord, there's so many folks in our community that are lost and don't know the good news, Jesus, that you have to give of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we want to be uh, rolling in ministry in a way that that we can reach those friends and neighbors and loved ones that, that, that have yet to come to you. Lord, this morning, just be with us as we do worship. Just draw us close to you. Let our lips, let our hearts, let our minds praise and worship you uh, in the fullness of your blessing. All these things, Jesus, we ask and give to you in your mighty name. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we continue to worship? Stand with me, please.
as a Christian, that should be our hope. That should be our desire to see our king coming one day. But until then, we'll just continue to sing to the king until we see him face to face. Some of you think today that you can't sing, but the Bible says to make a joyful noise. It doesn't say anything about singing pretty or anything like that, but to make a joyful noise, to worship the Lord, 
And as we continue to build his kingdom here, that's what we're to do. So I encourage you, sing out. If, if you think you sound bad, point to the person next to you. All right. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. 
he returns, you and I as Christians, we need to be looking for those that need to know him as their Lord and their Savior. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, we all know that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you're here today, maybe you're watching us online uh, and you need to come to Jesus. Bring, bring all your failures, bring those addictions as this song that we're about to talk about uh, says. Come to him and lay at his feet and he'll save you today.
Father God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to come and die for us so that we could have victory over death, hell, and the grave. Uh, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you did on the cross. And all we have to do is simply ask you to forgive us of our sins and to be our Lord and our Savior. And that can happen today. Uh, Paul says in your word, he says that today is the day of salvation. So I pray for anyone who's maybe here with us today or maybe watching us on the internet or the on Facebook or the web. Lord, just, uh, just uh, reach out to us today. Help us to hear your call and to answer. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Take your Bible this morning and open to Revelation chapter 12. Chapter 20, our little ones can make their way to Children's Church. I can go over here with Miss Casey. While you're doing that, I want to read one other passage for you out of John chapter 12, and then verses 30 through verse 32. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will, he says, the ruler of this world, that is Satan, that is the devil, be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. We're coming to the conclusion of the series that we started back in the uh, first of January, our ancient foe, Satan. And I want us to think about the devil's destiny this morning. In June of 1967, a war broke out between the Israelis and the Arabs, uh, and the Arab nations. Because of its biblical significance, the world followed the news very attentively as every day unfolded in that war. In the early moments of that war, it seemed from the reports that were emanating out of Cairo that the Israelis were taking a, hor a horrific beating. Reports after report came back saying how many Israeli planes had been destroyed, how many Israeli tanks had been lost, and just how far the Egyptians had penetrated into Israel. The reports out of Egypt predicted that they would actually be in Tel Aviv by night. And that went on day after day during that war, confirming the uh, Egyptians and the Arab victories and triumphs. What was not known until hostilities had ceased at the end of just one week was that Israel, by destroying the air force and the airfields surrounding the Arab states, had actually won complete victory within really a matter of hours of that war's opening. Yet the truth revealed that the Arabs kept on fighting even though they knew and were assured that they had been defeated. I want you to remember this as we bring this series to a close, that the knowledge that one has been vanquished does not keep that one from continuing to fight. The fact that Satan has been defeated, his judgment has been pronounced, his destiny has been secured, does not keep him from continuing to wage war against God and God's people. We said that last week as we looked at that uh, message, a enemy still engaged. The fact that you and I have victory in Christ does not keep him from attacking us, and it does not keep him from seeking to do us harm. But I want to say to you that you and I can take heart that one day God 
that one day our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will put an end to that old menace, the devil. As I think about our series and where we've been and the ground we've covered and where we've come from, there's a few things that I pray would at least be a blessing or happen for you. I pray that you are more alert to the schemes of the devil than you've ever been. I pray that you're more prepared for victory over the devil than you've ever been. I pray that you are more encouraged in the victory, in the great gift of salvation that Christ has given you. And I pray that you appreciate Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, more than you ever have. Now, I want to say to you the good news is that God is going to deal with this old menace, this old adversary, this ancient foe, the devil, once and for all. And I want to give you what God is going to do in the conclusion of this matter this morning. And I want you to understand that, uh, that we're going to see Satan's ultimate and final ruin. One of the greatest lessons I think that we should learn from this study itself is this. It is utterly foolish to oppose God. It is utterly foolish to rebel against Him, against His will, against His Word, and uh, not be obedient to what our Father wants. That's the ultimate lesson that we need to learn. But unfortunately, that's the lesson that man doesn't seem to be able to learn. When you look at the history of mankind, it seems as though man just cannot get it through his head. You look at the nation of Israel, you look at the, the Hebrew people, and they could not, what? Stay consistent in obedience to God. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against His Word. They would, they would repent, they would renew, they would come back to God, and then what? They would fall away again. And all through the Old Testament, we just have that old cycle. Uh, they would be close to God, and then they would be out of the will of God and out of the out of the, the obedience uh, and faithfulness to God. And God would have to bring them back with His chastening hand and His hand of discipline. But I want to say to you that God is going, I believe, to make a way in which you and I can, in eternity, be faithful and be obedient. And part of the way in which that He's going to do that in you and I and, and create in us a heart for obedience is what He ultimately does with the devil. Now, I want to give you three dramatic scenes this morning, and we're going to look at a lot of different verses and be in a lot of different uh, scriptures. Matter of fact, we're not going to read all of them for time's sake, but uh, in, in the notes, you can find much of the scripture that, that I'm going to be talking about or referring to, and so you can go back and get those and you can and look at those scripture verses. But I want to give you as much as I can, and I want you to see three major dramatic scenes in the Word of God as it deals with the ultimate destiny of the devil. Number one, I want you to see what I want to call the devil's firm removal. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when we talk about Satan's judgment, when we talk about Satan's removal, the devil's removal, that it actually comes in stages. It comes over different periods of time. Now, I'm not going to get into the stages really uh, in a very intensive way. Uh, the simple reason is it's kind of like putting together a giant jigsaw puzzle, and as you're trying to put the puzzle together, you find out that you've got other puzzle pieces mixed in from other puzzles, and it just it gets all kind of uh, confusing 
as to what's going on and what, what's happening. And, and by the time that you kind of get it all put together, you really don't know what you've even put together or why you were trying to accomplish it. So let me just say, there are plenty of books, there are plenty of websites online that can go out there and put that puzzle uh, together for you, and they can leave you just as confused as I could, all right? So we're not going to just dig into the weeds today. But what we will do is just kind of give you an overview of the stages of how God is going to remove Satan from the scene. Let me just say there are at least six judgments associated with Satan. First, he's barred from his original privileged position in heaven. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 28 and in verse 16. And then we're going to find that the judgment is placed upon Satan when he caused Adam and Eve to, uh, to sin in the garden. We read that when we looked at Genesis chapter 3. You'll see verses 14 and 15, the judgment placed upon Satan there. I just read for you out of John chapter 12 in verses 30 through 32, and in verse 31 particularly, we find that Jesus announces that Satan is judged, victory is won at the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is judged at Calvary's cross. And then we find that Satan will be barred from heaven during what you and I are going to call this morning the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. I want you to listen uh, to what the uh, Apostle Paul, uh, uh, Apostle uh, John says in verse 30, uh, 13 of chapter 12. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down from the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now all that, of course, is symbolic language of uh, what we call that period of tribulation, that period of God's judgment upon this world. But what I want you to see is this, that there is a point in the tribulation period, there is a point in the book of Revelation in those future events where God bars Satan from heaven. He has not been barred from heaven yet, but one day he will be. And then fifth, Satan will be confined, confined to the abyss, or what we call the bottomless pit. That happens, we, we see that in Revelation uh, chapter 20 and verse 2, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, that bottomless pit, and shut it, and sealed it over, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, and then listen to this, until the thousand years were ended. That's the millennial period, the reign of Christ here on earth that the Word of God talks about. And that's what we're, we're meaning when we say the thousand-year reign of Christ, that thousand-year millennial period where Satan is bound and put into the bottomless pit. He's uh, imprisoned for a thousand years. And then finally, in Revelation 20 and in verse 10, we read the conclusion of the whole matter. It is at the end of this millennial period, Satan is cast into the lake of fire for all time and eternity. Chapter 20, verse 10 of Revelation, And the devil who had deceived him was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and forever and forever. Now, what I want you to hear from that quick list, and like I say, you can get pretty lost. Did you see, you're, you, know, you start out at Ezekiel, and you went back to Genesis, and 
You know, next thing you know, you're in the New Testament, and then you're going back to the Old Testament. So there's, you're jumping around all through the Bible to kind of put this puzzle piece together. But what I want you to see is God does have a plan. God has already spelled it out throughout His Word as you put it together, how He's going to deal with this old ancient enemy, this old menace, this old foe, Satan. And uh, it happens over a period of time and in stages. Really, you could put it down in about three stages and just simplify it even more. For example, Satan loses his position. We know that he started out as the chief angel. He was the angel of light. He was to handle the worship of God. And what happened? Of course, he rebelled. He sinned against God. We know that when he sinned and he rebelled, he got a third of the angels in heaven to sin and rebel with him. But what happened? He was removed from his position, uh, and he was uh, uh, in a limited way cast out of heaven, uh, cast down to earth here. A second thing we could say about uh, this uh, stage is that Satan loses his privilege. This happens uh, later on as he uh, be, uh, continues to uh, uh, war against God and war against uh, the people of God. He loses his privilege. He is the accuser. He's that corrupt accuser of the, of the people of God. He still has right now access to heaven in that he is allowed to go before God and say to God, okay, your child, uh, I'm going to pick on Brian because I like to, uh, Brian done this, God. God, this is what Brian did today. This is what he said. This is what he thought. He doesn't really love you. And yet he's also the same one that comes to deceive us. He comes and whispers. He says, hey, do this. You do that. You know you really want to. And then the moment you do, uh-huh, see God? See, he, he's not really. Uh, that's who he is. But there's coming a day when that privilege to accuse us before the Father, to be that corrupt accuser, is going to be removed. And ultimately, the final stage is he loses his power. He is the condemned adversary. He no longer is a threat to us. He is no longer an enemy to him. He has no power whatsoever. All of it is lost. What I want you to see is that just as God, our Heavenly Father, had a plan to deal with our sin problem, that God, the Heavenly Father, has a, uh, has a plan in place to deal with the author of sin, and that's Satan. Isn't that good news? I mean, just as our sin isn't a problem to God, Satan isn't a problem to God. Just as God's able to handle our sin, our guilt, our shame, to give us forgiveness, listen, God's able to handle anything Satan would want to throw his way. And listen, he is already defeated. Let me also say this, no sin will ever go unjudged. Don't get the idea that somehow, some way, sin will go unaccounted for. Every sin will be accounted for. Either sin will be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by those who've come to Him and put their faith in Him, and given their heart to Him, given their life to Him. Either sin will be covered and cleared that way, or listen, the individual will have to answer for sin, including Satan. Satan himself will have to answer for his guilt. We already have pointed out that Satan is hopeless, and we've already pointed out that Satan is helpless in his sin, unlike us, because why? 
Christ did not die for the angels or for fallen angels. He only died for fallen humanity. So there's no hope for him. And what I want you to see is that God says there is a firm removal of this old ancient foe. All right? He's going to be dealt with. A second thing I want you to see is what I call the devil's final rebellion. Now this happens in the, in, in, in the midst or towards the end of the final stage of God dealing with him. Satan loses his privilege and Satan loses his access to heaven. We read that there in uh, Revelation chapter 12. The victory of the cross is now translated into victory in heaven. The devil and his, aim, his fallen uh, uh, demon friends are cast out. They're out of heaven altogether. Now think about the picture for just a moment. The, separate, uh, the serpent glances towards heaven for the last time. He knows he's never going to be allowed to step foot or place wing back into that beautiful place that he used to call home. He is shut out. He is thrown out. The doors have been bolted shut. And just imagine his anger when he sees the gates of heaven closed. But not only the, saints, uh, uh, the, the gates of heaven closed, but the saints of God are allowed in. He had persecuted the earth by standing before the throne of God, in, uh, in, in, uh, before the spotless beauty of the Lord Jesus. And yet, he now sees that man is exalted above the angels. They have become brothers in Christ. And, and though they've committed many of the same sins as he has, he knows this truth that he will forever and forever and forevermore be shut out of heaven. And the Bible says he is furious. Listen to what Revelation chapter 20 and verses 7 through 10 has to say about this moment. This moment that he is thrown out of heaven, he no longer can accuse us, and he is, listen, loosed here upon earth after that thousand-year reign that we've talked about. Verse 7 of chapter 20. And when the thousand years was ended, so let me just stop here for just a moment and explain what's going on. In that tribulation period, at the beginning of the tribulation period, and this is what I believe, this is what many Christians believe, some don't, but I do, and, and I believe m most of you probably do as well, there's a, there is a, a time, what we call the, the moment of the rapture, all right? We don't know when that's going to be. Christ said he, God the Father has not revealed that to him. It's only in the Father's knowledge. But there's a catching away. The Bible teaches the catching away. Thessalonians talks about it. It's pictured in the book of Revelations. The church is raptured out. Now, I believe there is a rapture. I believe the church is raptured out. Christians are raptured out. And I'll tell you one reason that I believe that. Because, you see, God, while he may chasten his child, never pours his judgment and his wrath out upon his child. And see, when we come to the period of the, uh, the tribulation, God's pouring out his wrath. God's pouring out his anger. And dearly beloved, you and I have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, and we are his beloved child, and we will never know his wrath. We will never know his anger. And so there's a time of the rapture. At that moment, I believe, and the revelation uh, of John says this, that there is a period of seven years that uh, 
all hell is going to break loose here upon this earth. Now the first half of that seven years, a three and one half period, uh, there's going to be a rise to power by Satan's counterfeit, all right, the Antichrist, who's going to come to power, who is going to ascend uh, to the throne here on earth and, 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 and declare and demand to be worshipped, all right? Satan's always wanted to be worshipped. Well, he's going to set up his counterfeit. He's going to get uh, this old world to pretty well worship him. Now, at the three-and-a-half-year period, the Bible says that the Jewish people are going to realize the mistake they've made. The scales that have been over their eyes that have kept them blinded to Christ because of their hard hearts, all of a sudden is going to fall. And they're going to say, oh, wait a minute. We have rejected our Messiah. The Word of God, the New Testament is true. Everything that uh, we've heard uh, is, is, is what it is. And it's at that point that the Antichrist is going to turn on the, on the Hebrew people and the Jewish people. And the Bible says, and Jesus told them about that day, look, you're going to call for the mountains to fall upon you. You're going to want to hide. You're not even going to want to go back home to get your children. It's going to be such a horrible, awful time. For three and one half years, all hell is going to break loose out on this earth, all right? Uh, God's pouring out His judgments and plagues and, 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 and just horrible things to deal with the, the sin of this world and, and to show uh, His judgment upon sin. At the end of that seven-year, literal seven-year period, there will come a day of the tribulation, all right? At that point, Satan will be taken and he will be cast in that bottomless pit. He will be put in that jail cell, him and all of his demons. And Christ will rule upon this earth for a thousand years. I believe it's a literal thousand years, but the, the number of a thousand is also a number of absolute completion. Uh, it's a number of, of, of ten, which is a number of completion and, and perfectness, all right? But it's a, it's a picture of the complete, perfect rule of Christ. It's going to be an unbelievable time. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Peace will be upon earth. This world is going to enjoy a blessing it's never known before. And for a thousand years, it's just going to be heaven on earth. Now the question is, has man's heart changed? Has man's heart changed any? And the, and the sad truth of the matter is, no man still has a rebellious heart. And God still needs to deal with that rebellious heart. And so at the end of a thousand years, God's going to unlock the prison cell and let Satan out. That's the period we're talking about. That's the moment we're talking about here. Satan is going to be released. I want you to imagine the theory of the evil one. He's been cramped up in a prison cell for a thousand years. I want you to picture a mighty jungle lion caged in solitary confinement. And suddenly the doors to that cage is thrown open. And with a mighty bound, the beast leaps forth, shaking his mighty mane and roaring and shaking the mountains. I want you to imagine the fury that's going to be unleashed in this tale. I want you to imagine the, uh, the, the, the hunger in his teeth. I want you to imagine the glare that he has uh, as he is ready to vent his rage upon this world. What a picture for us.
as Satan burst forth from the pit. He's lost none of his cunningness. He's lost none of his evilness. Even with the passing of the years, he's still as strong as he once was. And he's had a thousand years to plot his revenge. And he knows men are still men and sin is still sin. And he's going to do everything he can to bring men and sin back together again. He's going to have one more final fling. He's going to strike once more at the heart of God through the lives of men. He's going to try his best to make a mockery out of this millennial reign of Christ that we've enjoyed. He will do his best to show up Christ. But it's going to show up as just another, listen, pious fraud. He's back. Sin is ablaze in the human heart. The kindling is there. It's ready to be ignited. And he's got the match. Now that, that brings us to an interesting question. And we've already asked the question, why does God allow sin, sin and, and evil to live anyway? Why does God allow Satan to exist anyway? We already answered that question. But think about this. Why in the world would God allow Satan loose? I mean, if he's been in prison for a thousand years, why let him loose? Well, I, I'm going to give you three reasons. And these are theological thought-out reasons. And I want to give them to you because I think it's important to know. One reason, I think, is to perhaps demonstrate once and for all to all of creation that God's power and goodness is so great that evil is not a threat to him. It proves to us once and for all, what? That Satan is nothing more than a toy to God in comparison to his power and his greatness and his goodness. That whether he's out or not, he's not a threat. Number two, another reason, this world's always wanted hell on earth rather than heaven on earth. Mankind has always prayed more for hell than heaven. Always more for pleasure than praise of God. God says, you know what? You want it so bad, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you this time unrestrained. I'm not going to hold back the full horrors of hell. You want it, you can have it. And then number three, God is preparing to bring his full and final judgment at his white throne for the sins of this world. I want you to listen to me for a moment. There's something that I want you to hear. I want you to get it into your heart. Look here in Revelation chapter 20 in beginning in verse 11. And this is where we're picking up at. All right. He's been released. He's been set free. All right. Christ has reigned for a thousand years. Then John said in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat, up, sat upon it, all right? The great white throne is the, is the judgment of the unbelievers. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades. Now you say, what's death and Hades? That's the abode of the dead. That's where dead, those who die outside of Christ, listen, don't go to hell right away. They go to a holding place called death and Hades. 
to await the final judgment. But listen, that holding place, death and Hades will give up its dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what he had done. Then death and Hades, that old holding place, was thrown into the lake of fire. And that means everyone who had been in there. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. No name found tells us that this is the judgment of the unsaved. Listen, at the white throne of judgment, where Christ our Lord will judge, and judge Satan, and judge those who stand with him, so great a scene, so dramatic a scene, so unimaginable a scene, that the Bible tells us that John says, literally, earth and sky fled from his presence. Listen to how John Phillips puts it. He says, in this moment, terrible fear grips each heart. To look upon the face of Jesus in bliss is beyond words for the child of God. But for the ungodly, it will be the first stab of an agonizing heart. The earth and the heavens will have fled from the face, from heaven and from, from earth will have been defiled by sin, will need to be made anew. Oh, what a face it is. The one that the ungodly had once sped upon and rinsed the beard from its cheek, leaving it marred more than any man's face had ever been marred. When they gaze on it, those who are there that day are in fear and in torment. Everything stable, solid, familiar in this universe is all of a sudden gone. Every landmark, every stone, every hiding place, there's nothing left but emptiness, a throne and a figure and a face and cramping fear. Terrible fear reaps each heart. He said, but that's not all of it. Terrible fellowship is there as well. The dead are there, small and great, who stand before God. Dead souls are, uh, are united to their dead bodies in a fellowship of horrors and despair. Little men and, 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 and paltry women whose lives were filled with pettiness, selfishness, nastiness, and little sins, they're there. Those whose lives amounted to nothing will be there. Those who had sins that were drab and dull, mean and spiteful, peevish and groveling and vulgar and common and cheap, they are there. But the great will be there too. Men who sin with a high hand, with dash and courage and flair. Men like Alexander and Napoleon. Hitler and Stalin will be present. Men who went in wickedness on a grand scale with the world as their stage. Who died unrepented in the last they will be there. Now one and all are arranged, all of them there, on their way to be damned. A horrible fellowship. What a congregation gathered together for the first time and their last. That's the background of this moment. Let me say to you this morning that, dear friend, you don't want to be a part of those who are counted that day with Satan on that great day. Of judgment. I want to say to you that Satan will rebel and it doesn't last long. 
no more and he is let out, God deals with him. That brings me to the last point, the devil's future ruin. Let me just give you some quick verses here. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and suffer where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented. Listen, day and night, forever and forever and forever. Listen to Isaiah. I think Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, speak to us about the change that's going to happen in us, but also how we're going to see Satan. And the prophet says there in verse 12, Oh, how you've fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of dawn. Who is that? That's Lucifer. That's, that's Satan. That's the devil. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will send to, to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the fear, far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights and the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Shiloh, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. And they will say this, and I quote, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook kingdoms? who made the world like a desert and overthrew the cities, who did not let his prisoners go home. In other words, Isaiah says, we're going to look upon that old ancient foe, the devil, in his agony and his torment in the lake of fire, and we're going to scratch our chin, and we're going to say, oh, what a fool. Oh, what a fool. Oh, what a fool he was. Let me ask you a question. What did Satan want most? What did he really want to cause him to rebel against God? Think about it for a moment. He wanted glory, didn't he? He wanted the glory of God. He wanted the praise. He wanted the praise of God. He wanted the worship. He wanted the worship of God. But do you see how it ends for him? What does he have in the end? He has shame, not glory. He has embarrassment, not praise. He has humiliation, not worship. The lake of fire was prepared, listen, not for human beings. It wasn't meant for you and I. The Bible says it was meant for Satan and those demons. It was created for uh, judging his rebellion. It need not be our destiny, for Christ came to bring us the hope of God. Christ came to bring us the offering of God of himself to be our sacrifice for our sins. But no salvation has been provided for Satan. No salvation has been provided for those fallen angels. Their destiny, their eternity, their forever and forever and forever tomorrows is the lake of fire. But God instead offers you and I the gift of salvation. But here's where God, I think, does a most scandalous thing. He leaves the decision with you and me. Even after being willing to sacrifice his own son, even after putting his son through the humiliation of Calvary's cross, even after all the horrible things that were done to Jesus, God still says you get to choose. You can choose me or you can choose Satan. You can choose heaven or you can choose hell. 
when the Apostle Paul was describing the glory that belongs to Christ, he reminds us that when we become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that, that God had done for him a special thing. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is a name above every name, so that at the knee of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, in the unending ages of eternity, no tongue will be left, lifted in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. In the ages of eternity, there will be no tongue that will speak against his absolute authority. All of heaven will confess that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. But not only all of heaven, but all of hell. Every uh, a fallen angel will adore him. Every bitter enemy of Christ will serve him. Isn't that an amazing thought? Even those who have been banished from his presence forever will still have to name the name of Jesus as rightful Lord. And even Satan, the old devil, will be forced to confess Jesus is Lord. Now you think about that for a moment. What I'm asking you to do today, what I'm asking you to do at home today, is something you're going to do anyway, one way or another. You will name the name of Jesus. You will proclaim that He is Lord of all. You can do it today, or you can do it in eternity. You can do it today and be joined to His presence, be joined to His forgiveness. Or you can deny Him today, you can deny Him in this world, deny Him with your opportunity and you'll be forced to confess him every day for all eternity in hell, in that lake of fire. You see, the difference is what today means, what this moment brings. Only today, only in this life, only while we're breathing this breath of the gift of life can how we name Christ make a difference for us. Only now can it bring life. Only now can it bring liberty. Why would you deny him? Why would you put it off? Why would you not come to Christ? What a fool. What a fool. What a fool you are. You will name him. You will bend the knee to him. What a fool Satan is. There's one question that I love to have answered. I don't know that I can answer it. I don't know that the Bible gives us an answer on it. But as I've gone through this series, I've wondered it. If Satan could undo what he did. You ever played that game? I've played that game. Lord, I wish I could go back a week. I wish I could go back a year and not do that stupid thing I did. Have a life like it never happened. I, I wonder if Satan, 
If you could undo that moment, would you do it? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe his heart's always been so evil and black, full of pride, that maybe he would have always gone down that road. But maybe today you're sitting here and you're saying, I sure would like a second chance. I sure would like to clean up my record with God. You want to know the good news is? Well, you can't erase it in your actions. You can't erase it in the blood of Christ. And you can be cleansed and you can be one with God, one with the Son, one with the Holy Spirit. And listen, if Jesus tarries and the rapture doesn't come and you die, listen, then you're absent from the body but present with Jesus. And on that glorious day, when the Lord comes, the trumpet is sounding, and God the Father says to the Son, go get your bride. Listen, our old body that's in that grave jumps out of that grave, and it unites with that heavenly soul. We have a glorified body. We come riding back with him upon the clouds, and we call home every believer here on earth. For a thousand years, Christ will reign. Satan will be locked away. But he'll be opened up one more time for just a little bit. There's not even really much of a war to speak of. You read about the war of Gog and Magog. Oh, he's got the great armies of this world assembled there at that old place of the Armageddon. You know how it ends? The breath of God. The breath of God just blows across that army and it's gone. Satan's gone. And that's it. It's over. And also at that moment, it's over. God says, that's it. No more grace. No more time. No more hope. If you're a Christian, you get to go on to heaven and, and, and live out eternity in, in God's love and grace and goodness. But dear friend, if you are lost, you will stand before Jesus. And you will be judged for every sin and deed you've done in your life. I think about a man like Hugh Hefner, Mr. Playboy. Hugh Hefner has not been judged yet. Hugh Hefner's sin has not been completed yet. How many lives and homes and families has he ruined and continues to ruin long after his death? Not one sin will go unjudged. The full sin of each life who's rejected Christ will be weighed and measured and judgment given. See, it's not just what you've done, it's what you didn't do or what you could have done and what you've left behind that continues to be sin in your life. Oh, what a fool not to come to Christ today. You will come to Him. The question's how? Lord and Savior, judge or ruler. Heavenly Father, this morning, 
Maybe someone's listening at home. Someone's here, and they said, you know, Lord, I've never done what I need to do with you in my life. Lord, it's not about what we know. It's not even about what we believe. The angels, the fallen angels, the demons know and believe that you are Lord of all. They know you. Lord, it's about where we've put our faith, where we have surrendered to you. That's it. That's what you're calling for, surrender. Where, Lord, we laid down the, the arms and we bend that knee and we say, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior. When we surrender our life to you, then, Lord, you come in and you, and you don't come in to judge or to imprison us, but to be our king and our savior, to be our healer and our helper. Oh, Lord, what a, what a gift. What a gift of grace and love. Lord, today is the day is the day. Now is the time to pray that prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins and be my savior. Lord, if someone's prayed that prayer, then let, let your will be done today in responding. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. We're going to stand and sing the Lord spoken. You come. You come. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today. Thank you.